Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God, family. It's good to see everybody this evening. Hallelujah. I want to um, have you join me in in your Bibles at Luke twenty three. Luke chapter 23, and I want to read verse 4. As we read, I want us to give attention to something that the scripture emphasizes concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is his innocence. We read here in Luke chapter 23 and verse 4 concerning the innocence of our Savior. Then Pilate said, then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. We also see in this same chapter, verse 14, he said unto them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverts the people. And behold, I having examined him before you have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. Verse 15, nor uh, yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. And then in verse 22, and he said unto him the third time, why, what evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And of course, they almost had a riot wanted to demand that Barabbas be uh, released and that Jesus would be crucified him. They began to shout, crucify him, crucify him in verse 21. And the emphasis that we see here is that there, could, there was no fault to be found. He was innocent. The soldier at the cross in the same chapter, Luke 23 and verse 46 and 47 There was something in this moment that the soldier at the cross also recognized this innocence of Jesus. says, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly, This was a righteous man. The English Standard Version says an innocent man. So here, even in that moment when Jesus releases his spirit and offers himself to God, this bystander, this centurion who is there in this moment recognizes this man who just died was an innocent man. It was something that was declared here. The Amplified says, Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with these words, he expired. Now the centurion, having seen what was, had taken place, recognized God and thanked and praised him and said, indeed, without question, this man was upright, just and innocent an innocent man. We know that when we put our confidence in what Jesus has done for us, that this is a major point in our faith. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 is probably a verse that you have used 
in your walk with God numerous times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He became sin who knew no sin. And with that as the precursor, we boldly declare so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Right? It is that, that standard of his innocence that gives the value to our redemption. Hallelujah. First John chapter 3 and verse 5 says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Hallelujah. We've lived in a world that is under the burden of sin for so long that to even imagine a life where sin does not exist, imagine a world where there is no sin, or imagine a person who has lived all of their life and never sinned. It seems far-fetched, doesn't it? It seems something very dramatic. It seems something beyond our imagination because we have been so... Uh, aware of sin. We've been so conscious of sin. We've been so acquainted with sin, but Jesus never sinned. He was innocent. There was never in any moment of his life on this planet that he ever participated in a sin. Yet in that moment on the cross, he became sin. It wasn't something he did, yet it was something that by faith he received all of our sin. He received and became sin, but he never sinned. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 says this about Jesus. It says in Hebrews seven twenty six that he was holy, that he was harmless, that he was undefiled and separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4 also gives this emphasis. It says in verse 15, in all points he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In all points, he was tempted. In every way a person could be tempted, Jesus endured that temptation and yet never succumbed, never yielded, never gave way to the temptation to sin. He was tempted with all the same pressures, with all of the same, the same emotional uh, um, um, uh, duress that comes with that and yet he never submitted to sin. And when we allow that to be the standard that we look at as our faith is released for our redemption. And when I say redemption, I'm not talking about your ticket to heaven, although it is included in in our redemption, but I'm talking about the whole package. Redemption is an entire work. It is a work that covered our physical bodies to be redeemed from sickness. It is a redemption that covered every area of our life to be redeemed from the curse. He was made sin. He was made a curse. By his stripes we are healed. He became poor so that we through his poverty would be made rich. Every aspect of our redemption involved in this, it, it has that standard. It has that, that value system of Jesus' innocence. It's what gave his sacrifice value. Hallelujah. And with that, we'll look at Isaiah 53. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53. Gloria al Señor. <laughs> Can, puede usted entender todo or, or quiere tener los dos? Está bien? Okay. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53 and verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. But we just saw that he was innocent. 
We just saw all of these scriptures, Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Covenant, the first covenant and the second covenant. We've seen all of these scriptures that indicate his innocence. But he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. When we look at this text, we see that God's pleasure was not in the momentary punishment being placed on Jesus, but the result of that punishment. It says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, not because God took pleasure in seeing Jesus suffer, but he took pleasure in seeing the result of his suffering. The result of Jesus' suffering is our freedom. The result of Jesus' stripes being taken on his back was our wholeness. He became bruised so that we could be made whole. He was broken so that we could be restored to wholeness. He became sin so that we could be made righteous with God. Hallelujah. It pleased the Lord because what would take place in our life as a result of his sacrifice. But Jesus' death was a willing sacrifice. He was innocent. He didn't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. He never sinned. And because he never sinned, when he died in our place, there was an uneven balance. Because he died in our place, it, it negated. Until then, we were in debt to the sin we had committed. But because of Jesus' death, then when we lay that to our account, it voids out the sin debt we have. By our faith in what he did in our place. If we don't see that as being in my place personally, my place, he took stripes for my body to be made whole. He was bruised from my iniquities. He was, he suffered the, the, punishment that was necessary to obtain my peace. If I don't see it personal, then it's that faith transaction that brings it into my account and voids out the debt of the sin that I owed. And because Jesus died, I never have to die. Because Jesus died for me, I never have to die. I have already present in my life eternal life. Hallelujah. Death has no victory over me. Why? Because to be absent from this body will be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Death won't rule over me because I am already alive unto God. Hallelujah. And that's because Jesus took my place. Tell somebody standing next to you, seated next to you, Jesus took my place. I want to look back at, at, at this text here in chapter 53, and I want to look at verse 12 this time. It says, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. I'll divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because... He has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. In our day and age, we need to take the, the necessary 
time to identify the word intercession because too many people in the body of Christ think it's a prayer. But the word intercession here is the word to strike upon. It is a word that specifically means to happen to, to light on, to strike upon. He made intercession for us. He, it, the, the necessary punishment, it was struck upon him. It lit upon him. It happened to him what I deserved. What, what, I, what, what I deserved to have happen, happened to him. The wages of sin is death. He died so that I can live unto God. The word intercession, because we acquaint it with prayer, a lot of times it misses the faith connection that we need to make to that. What happened to him paid the price for me. He made intercession. It happened to Jesus. it, It was struck upon him. So we would say it this way, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was laid upon him. It happened to him. And when it happened to him, he took sin away from me because I believe in it, because I make that personal. Now, there is a prayer of intercession, but the only value it has is the work of intercession that is done here by Jesus. Without the work of intercession, there could be no application of it in prayer. But because Jesus completed the work of intercession, we can come with the vehicle of prayer and apply it for other people. We can, we can take that, that which Jesus has done by him, by him having sickness laid upon him, by him having our sin laid upon him, by him becoming our carrier of the curse. Because of that, now we can take that work of, of intercession and we can apply it through the vehicle of prayer. Hallelujah. So the prayer of intercession is, is applying what Jesus has done in the work of intercession. So Jesus, he had to become the Lamb of God. Let's go back in this same chapter and look at verses 4 and 5. Because this part of his intercession his redemption is important for our faith. It says in verse four, surely he has born, circle that word born. He has born our Greece and carried, circle that word carried. He has born our Greece. He has carried our sorrows. In the original language, it's the same word born and carried. And if you were paying attention, we used those same words in verse 11 and 12. I'm going to point them out to you. Verse 11, it says, he shall bear their iniquities. It's the same Hebrew word. And then in verse 12, it says, he bear the sin of many. And so in each of this, we see that he carried something, but he didn't just carry it momentarily. He didn't just carry it and then place it back on us or just leave it at our feet. The word specifically means to lift up, to bear away, to remove to a distance, to lift something up and remove it to a distance so that it's no longer near you, so that it's no longer in your vicinity. It is no longer in your geographical location. It's been moved to another place. The Young's Living Translation says, Surely our sicknesses he has borne. The Young's Living is giving us a definition of what the King James calls griefs. But in the original language, it is specifically sicknesses. He has removed to a distance our sicknesses so that they are no longer in our possession. They are no longer in our geographical vicinity. They have been picked up and lifted off of our lives and removed to a place far from us. 
Hallelujah. He has, he has borne, he has borne our sicknesses and our pains. He has carried them. Again, it's the same word in the Hebrew to remove it to a distance. It was laid upon him and he removed it from our lives. It was laid upon Jesus. And when we accept him as Lord, we are brought into the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, we've been taken out of the authority of darkness. We've been taken out of the authority of darkness. The curse doesn't have authority. The sickness doesn't have authority. Hallelujah. Lack doesn't have authority. We are in a new place under a new authority. We're in a new, a new system, a new kingdom under a new authority. Why? Because he has borne. He has removed to a distance our sicknesses and our diseases. The Young's Living goes on to say, we esteemed him plagued, smitten of God and afflicted. And he is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is on him and by his bruise, there is healing to us. By his bruise. The Kenneth E. Weiss New Testament uh, translation says it was one gaping bruise. By the time those stripes were, were finished, ripping the skin and the flesh and the meat off of his body, it wasn't individual stripes at that point. It was one gaping wound on his back, and by that wound, we are made whole. We are made complete. We are healed. Hallelujah. By his bruise, there is healing to us. The Leeser translation says, he was despised and shunned by men, a man of pains, acquainted with disease. And as one who hid his face from us, was he despised. And we esteemed him not, but only our diseases did he bear himself. And our pains he carried While we indeed esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, yet he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him and through his bruises was healing granted, granted to us, healing granted to us. Hallelujah. Did you notice how many times in these these verses that I've just read, how many times the emphasis is on our transgressions, our sicknesses, our he carried ours. He didn't he wasn't carrying his. He was carrying ours. He didn't have any, remember? We saw his innocence. He didn't have any. He carried ours. He, he was wounded for ours. He wasn't wounded for something he did. He was wounded for our transgressions. Hallelujah. He was cursed for us. Galatians 3.13 says that, that this, this curse that he carried, because it says cursed is everyone, Galatians 3.13, who hangs upon a tree. Why was he cursed? He was innocent. Why was he cursed? He never did anything to deserve or to open his life up to the curse. He opened his life up to the curse by faith to receive the curse that you and I were under. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs upon the tree. Hallelujah. Again, this word in the New Testament, this word redeemed is an interesting word because it again carries the idea of complete removal. It is a word that in the original language, it means the purchase of a slave in order to permanently set that slave free. 
There is another word that set, that is the purchase of a slave, but this one has an added emphasis, an added definition to it. It's to purchase them, never to put them back in slavery again. Never to have them return to a place where they are under the bondage of that slavitude, that, that bondage again. In this, we see that this redeemed, this word redeemed, Christ has completely removed us from the curse. Never to return to the curse again. I think we should just anchor our faith on that. I think that's a good place to drive your stake down deep. <laughs> I believe that's a good place for us to set up camp and say, wait a minute, this, re- this word redeemed doesn't mean temporary. It means a permanent freedom. It means a permanent liberty. It means I will never again be under the bondage of the curse. The curse will never have authority in my life. There is no return to the curse because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 is another New Testament anchor point for us. It not only speaks of the being redeemed from the curse, but it also emphatically points out that that includes, that redemption includes freedom in our physical bodies. Hallelujah. I'm talking and turning. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self... Bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sins. Why are we dead to sins? Because he carried them. He bare them. Do you see that? Do you see he completely removed them? In the bearing, in the carrying, there was a complete removal. His own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree so that we could live dead to the power of sin. Sin no longer, Romans chapter six, sin no longer has dominion over us. Sin has no dominion to force us to sin. Can we sin? It's possible. I don't recommend it, but it's possible. But if you sin... If you'll immediately repent, if you'll go to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. When you go to him and you confess your sin, it doesn't take it. He doesn't put you on a temporary hold of, okay, I'm going to, I'm watching you right here. I'm, I got my eyes on you. No, he is immediately coming and cleansing you of all unrighteousness. Because he is faithful. But sin itself doesn't have power to force us to do anything. And sin doesn't have power to force the curse on us. Just because this world is under the control of the curse, we are not under the control of the curse. The curse has no control over our lives because he was cursed for me. Why does it have no control? Because he was cursed for me. Because I have such a confidence that when Jesus was cursed, I know, I know, yeah, I know. I know, Sister Gloria, that he was cursed for you. But I'm telling you, he was cursed for me. I know that there was enough of what he did to go around, but I'm not just seeing what he did for you and leaving on the table what he did for me. I'm taking personal that, yes, what he did for me, he did completely for me. He redeemed me so that sin, I am dead to it. So if I'm dead to it, it gets no response from me. It gets no response from me. Why? Because I'm free from that. 
I don't have to miss the mark and I don't have to disobey the word of God. And there's nothing that sin can tempt me to do and make me do it. Why? Because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. And there has no temptation taken anyone except what's common. And with every temptation, God provides a way to escape. And the way to escape is right here. We're redeemed from that. I don't have to yield to it. I'm redeemed from it. He was cursed. He bore my sins in his own body on the tree so that I could be dead to sin. And what? I don't just stop right there. I'm I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive. I'm alive unto righteousness. I am alive unto the nature of God that's been placed on the inside of me. He became sin who knew no sin so that I could be made the righteous. Righteousness isn't something I have in my pocket in a measure. It's not something that I'm running short on or I have a, a, a hefty supply of. Righteousness isn't a substance in, in quantity. Righteousness is what I've been made. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not something something I have or something I possess. It is something I am. It is my DNA. Jesus gave birth to me. He made me new, alive. I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are created new and all things are of God. And we are made the righteousness of God, not a secondhand righteousness, not a generic form of righteousness, not that, that, that kind in the yellow box that you buy at the wall. Walmart. No, it's not the great value kind. It's not the always save brand. We have God's very own righteousness. That's who we are. We are the righteousness. Why? Because he carried my sin, completely removing it. But that's not all. You ever been, it slices, it dices, it chops, it grinds, but wait, that's not all. There's more. And with this great tool, with this great deal, you also get Ginsu Ginsu healing, right? There's this tag on the end of this verse. It says, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, Peter surely knew Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. But Isaiah was talking about the work to be done. And Peter was referring to the work that has already been completed. The job has been fulfilled. It's not waiting. Healing isn't something we have to wait for. Healing is something already provided. Healing is ours by covenant. By whose stripes you were healed. The key to getting the most out of this verse is following the grammar used in the previous part of the verse. Because the way that the sentence structure is set up, and this is, this is, you can thank my English teacher for helping you today, okay? You can thank my English teacher, Miss Dunn, for helping you today. Because the way this sentence structure, the first part of this sentence structure is the, is the standard. It is the, the, the pattern And you need to take this last tagline and pull it back through the pattern of the first part of the sentence. So let's do that. You want to do that? Okay, here we go. Who his own self bare, carried, completely removed to a distance our sickness in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sickness. (laughs) Dead to sickness. Sickness has no power over our bodies. Sickness has no authority 
Sickness can't, can't force its way into our life just because it's been running in our family for decades and for, for, for grandma after great grandma after great great grandma. Just because of that doesn't mean that it has any right in this body now. Why? Because this body now has already had a payment paid for it. He bore our sicknesses in his body on the tree so that we would be dead to sickness. Tag your it. You got a microphone? <laughs> Come on. Dead to sickness. Can you see it? Can you let this scripture, can you see what Jesus did? I, I'm, not telling you, I, I'm not telling you to look at your body. I'm telling you to look at his. I'm telling you to look at his body. I'm telling you to look at what he carried. I'm telling you to look at what he suffered because that's where all the redemptive provision comes from. It's his sacrifice that makes our provision valid. He bore, completely removed our sickness in his body so that we could be dead to sickness and live unto healing. You never have to be sick another day in your life. You can live unto healing. It's not automatic. It's automatically yours, but it's not automatically in manifestation. It autom it's, a, it's in your account. But you know, there might, there's, there's things in your account you've never withdrawn. Otherwise, you'd be overdrawn, right? There, as long as there's something in your account, you're not overdrawn. There are things in our, in our redemptive account that we've never withdrawn. I have, I have an objective for you, a, a, a new standard for you to set, a new, a new goal. I'm going to begin releasing my faith that I never have to be sick, that I can resist. See, we're not waiting until we get sick to go get healed. We're not waiting until we experience the symptoms in our body to go look for it to go look for the healing. We're just going to go ahead and store it up. Just go ahead and feed on it so that our spiritual body is full of the healing nutrition to keep us well. And so that when sickness comes, we resist it and it goes as fast as it comes. Hallelujah. We overcome it with this supply that we are dead to sickness and we live unto wholeness. We live in healing. By whose stripes you were healed is meant to be pulled through that same mindset of that first part of the sentence. Hallelujah. When under the old I'm going to say the first covenant. When God so mercifully provided healing, he gave them something to practice, something to, to provide an image, a picture. And in that, they were able to rehearse. And we get to also look at this picture. I want you to go with me to Leviticus 16 because I want you to see this rehearsal of how he carries it away. God wanted them to have a picture and we know that what happened here in this first covenant was actually uh, a, an example for us. And Leviticus 16 He's dealing with the sin offering. And in verse 5 of Leviticus 16, he gives them an instruction. He says, you shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. 
And so they took of the burnt offering, they offered it and and prepared it. Uh, Verse 7, verse 7, he says, you shall take of the two goats. Now this is for the sin offering. You shall take of the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Have you ever heard that word scapegoat before? I mean, even before you came to church, you ever heard the word scapegoat? We have that word in our society today and it came from this example in scripture. And we in our society would use that word scapegoat to say if a person, if there were people that were involved in a crime and one of them turned himself in or one of them pled guilty, he, he took the fall for everybody else. He, he carried the blame for the whole group of people that were involved. Nobody else got punished for it. Only one person took the fall, took the punishment, and carried the load that everybody deserved, right? Well, this word scapegoat also in the original language means the goat of separation. The goat of separation. Why? Because God gave them an image to rehearse seeing their sins being separated from them. Now, they weren't even able to cleanse their sin, but they could still be separated from their sin. It covered their sin, but when we we see this picture, God was saying, in this covering, in this provision I've made for you, you I'm going to remove that sin so that it's no longer tormenting your life. And so that you can have the relationship with me that you need to have. And then next year, you'll come back and do this same thing again. Why? Because the blood of the animals wasn't sufficient to cleanse their sin. But we see this picture of rehearsing how it was carried away. It says in verse 9, remember the word scapegoat means the goat of separation. Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. The blood was shed. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, the goat of separation, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So two goats... It, it, it required two for them to see the full picture of what Jesus alone was able to accomplish for us. We know that Jesus was the sin offering for us. In verse 15 of this chapter, it speaks of the sin offering in the natural. It says, you shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And we know that Jesus being our sin offering. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks of him as our sin offering, doing what so much more than what the blood of bulls and goats could do. In Hebrews 10 and verse 19, it says, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus, our sin offering, has so completely cleansed us that we can come boldly into the presence of our Father, that we can enter in by this new and this living way. We can come with our, our conscience clean from the, the shame of our past and the sin of our past, and we can come before him as a son, as a daughter, and we can live unto righteousness. 
We can live in right standing with God and enjoy our fellowship with him, which is something the Old Testament saints, they never enjoyed the way we enjoy the presence of God. But not only did Jesus become our sin offering, but here in Leviticus chapter 16, It says in verse 20, when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their... What is he doing? He's laying his hands on the goat and speaking words. He shall confess over this goat all the iniquities, all the transgressions in all their sins. And what happens when he confesses these things on the goat? He's putting them on the goat. He's putting the sins of the people on the goat. What's the goat? He's the goat of separation. This is the goat that is going to carry our sins away. And they just had a picture. But we have the reality. They had an imagery they had a, a placeholder, but we have the fulfillment. It says, they put the sins upon the head of the goat. And then what did they do? They sent the goat away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Verse 22, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness so the goat never found its way back the sin never found its way back to them hallelujah what a picture to rehearse And so in Isaiah 53, which we read, it says, the Lord has laid on him. That was the word paga, intercession. That's also used in Isaiah 53. The Lord has paga. He has laid upon him. He has made happen to Jesus. The iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. Why? So that we can live free. Family, we've got to contend for what's ours by this inheritance. We've got to recognize what belongs to us, lay hold of it, and not allow any deception to talk us out of it. Not allow any, any uh, pressure or or. false doctrine or opinions of people to move us away from what Jesus purchased in his redemption for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our diseases. He bore our sins so that we could live unto righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just lift your hand to him in this moment and make this declaration of faith. Father, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. I receive every provision that his redemption His intercession has made mine. Father, teach me how to live in the full light of my redemption. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can just stay right there, of course. Praise God. Isn't God good? God is good. He, Pastor Michelle kept emphasizing uh, the, word, the word carried and bore. Everything that God said he would do in the Old Testament, Jesus became the vehicle to do it in the New Testament. If, uh, now I'm not, I'm not going to teach, so just bear with me though. If you look at Exodus 23 and 25, he said, you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from your midst. I will take it. Glory to God. I'll take it. Take I'll bear it away. If, if it's there, I'll take it. Praise God. You see, it, it, it doesn't matter if you have it, he'll take it. And then Deuteronomy 7, <clears throat> and all of this is because the Lord loves you. Verse 13, Deuteronomy 7, 13 says, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. Then notice verse 15, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness. And will allow none of the evil diseases of Egypt that you know upon you. Egypt is always a type of the world. Always. In the Bible, it's always a type of the world. It doesn't matter what disease is in the world. It's not going to come on us. Because God said, I'll take it and I'll keep it from you. Hallelujah. Well, whatever Jesus took, the goat. He took the sin. He, he Oh, Lord. Aaron, Aaron pronounced the sin on the goat in the place of God. And on the cross, Jesus, God pronounced our sin on Jesus, our sickness on Jesus. That's why the Bible says we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But it was our transgression. Hallelujah. It was our, so, so God looked at Jesus on the cross and said, I pronounce over you, Jesus, Michelle steals sin. Glory to God. And Jesus bore Michelle's sin away and bore Michelle's sickness away. And they took the goat out into the wilderness to a place where it could never find its way back. Sickness is not the only, sin is not the only thing that can't find its way back to me. Sickness doesn't have my address either. Because it's been taken away. Doesn't have my address. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm done. Hallelujah. But I just thought we'd drop that little nugget. So praise God. We are having a healing meeting Sunday night. Yeah. Amen. So uh, if you know anyone that needs healing in their body, please bring them and the Lord will heal them. Glory to God. That's just what I believe. And uh, the Lord's good. Amen. Wasn't that a good message? This is my favorite preacher in the whole world right here. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet tonight, would you? Praise God. Good to see everybody this evening on a great Wednesday night. Hallelujah. Hour of power. Thank you, Lord.